Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for being with us here on Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Sheckman. We used to have this overly romanticized notion of the writer as someone locked up in the garret, depressed, alone, and turning out great literature. Or of the starving artist selling paintings on the streets of Paris to get a few francs for coffee and croissants. And while there still may be the solitary writer or the struggling artist, usually complaining that his loft in Oakland or Dumbo is being gentrified, we know that writers like Tom Wolfe or Norman Mailer or Zadie Smith can be great writers and still be celebrities and still be rich. So why should we think it should be any different with respect to the art and business of wine? The idea of the lone, windswept farmer, his fingernails plied with dirt, Plowing the land is a nice romantic notion. It just has little real place in the wine business or in agriculture as we come to the end of the first quarter of the 21st century. Drones are examining vineyards for moisture and pest profiles. Techniques of winemaking are pushing the envelope of what winemakers can do. And the cost of it all escalates. Land and cutting-edge equipment becomes more expensive. And like every single disrupted business today, economies of scale are value-added, and distribution channels continue to narrow. It's against this backdrop that Jim Conaway has painted the final chapter in his trilogy about the Napa Valley, Napa at Last Light. It is my pleasure to welcome Jim Conaway to Napa Broadcasting. Jim, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to have you here. When we look at Napa today, and you know, and I see it every day, we have this small county of you know under 150,000 people, a booming economy, certainly more Michelin stars than any other county its size. It, it was recently reported that we're the fifth healthiest county in the state. What could possibly be wrong? <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot that's right. I agree with you. Uh, you still have beautiful views. Uh, good wine is made there. You have uh, good. You have the agricultural preserve is still in existence, uh, and uh, you still have a few of those uh, lonely farmers uh, scratching out, you know, <laughs> their vineyards. But uh, they're not buffeted by strong, snowy winds. But uh, you also have huge multinational corporations uh so they're and they tend to be the ones who are setting the tone in napa valley today not the small quality exquisite producer who does without frills and is essentially has essentially gone back to the land what's wrong i i guess you're asking from my point of view right correct the, what's wrong is that the community, people who are not involved in the so-called wine industry, uh, are not happy with what has happened to their valley. Uh, it has less to do with wine, I think, than with tourism and with the loss of the notion that Napa was a place of small quality producers upping the ante all the time and getting better and better. That that model seems to have stalled, perhaps permanently, certainly for the foreseeable future. And big companies, Constellation, you know, Diageo's gone, but Treasury Wine Estates and others, they're, they're there, and they are interested in 
selling as much wine as they possibly can. Most of it these days is not even made from Napa Valley grapes. Let, let me let me interrupt so, you for a second, Jim, because one, okay, one of sure. the, one of the things that I know that that you talk about in the book and that you've spoken about is the proliferation of wineries, the number of wineries here in Napa Valley, well over four hundred at this point, and a very small percentage of those, a very small percentage represent these big companies that you're talking about it is still relatively small producers and yes a lot that the cost of everything has gone up a lot of them are wineries that that are as you referred to them lifestyle vineyards or lifestyle wineries and and the people that have bought them and run them are people that are wealthy and can afford it but the number of these wineries that are part of these conglomerates, Treasury or Constellation or any of the others, is pretty small by comparison to the total 400 plus. Mm-hmm. And 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 now compare the the uh, the gallonage of wine made by the big boys compared to the small ones. But isn't that true? in any business that that starts small and that, that suddenly other people come in their success big companies come in there's consolidation it is a normal business cycle it, that we are it in. may be listen jeff it may be normal napa's not a normal place and why do we always fall back on these tired old business chivalrous oh it's normal you have to grow grow or die all that stuff is you're in you're in a hybrid environment in Napa. It's not the same. It was the first agricultural preserve in the United States. A Republican, all Republican board of supervisors back in 1968 against great opposition from the the equivalent of today's big boys in the industry was against the agricultural preserve, and they all voted for it. Napa Valley could do the same thing today. It's the wine that is brought in from out of county and bottled in Napa is a travesty, and uh, the the amounts of it. And the, what is also a travesty, to my mind, is opening the portals to of tourism uh, to bring in more and more people into the valley and to build so-called event centers now within a lot of them within the agricultural preserve to entertain and feed tourists and essentially turn themselves into hotel coom uh, or restaurants coom winery why is that why is that a bad thing why is it a good thing it has nothing to do with making wine and it has not, it has everything to do with tourism. It's not it's not an agricultural uh, activity, and that's what the valley is supposed to be about. You're right. This this trend does take place in, in most communities, uh, but it didn't have to in Napa, and it doesn't even have to persist. Napa is different. Napa has its own rules. It has an agricultural preserve, and it has strong regulations that have been subverted in recent years by public officials and but, but doesn't that doesn't that presuppose that the business of wine and the selling of wine and all the things that make those wineries possible 
are exactly the same as they were in 1968, and they were not. The internet didn't exist. Cell phones didn't exist. Tourism was different. Distribution channels are different. The idea of creating a customer experience for people is a much more important fact now than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Important to whom? Important to anybody that wants to sell the wine that they make. Look, there were, there were laws, perfectly good laws, some still on the books, that prevented doing exactly the sort of thing you're now saying is, is perfectly all right. It's, ch- it's changing the valley, and the valley will not be able to go back if you, if you end up with four or 500 event centers added to what's already there. It simply cannot survive in any semblance of, of itself. You also have these, you have tremendous pressure again from the, mostly the big boys to clear forests on the hillsides to put in more vineyards that are, we, as we, everybody knows, are not just, it's not the simple little farmer you describe going up there and scraping out a vineyard. It's huge earth moving machines, dynamiting, boulders taken out. It's a transformation of landscape that that you see in industrial areas. But again, but but again, Jim, that's a very small percentage. If we look at the county Nonsense. general, but no, it, it's no, not a small percentage. It is a small, it's a small percentage. percentage of land that is that, that is available. Still, people in, who live in Napa Valley do not want the trees cut, and they do not want more more and more and more tourist attractions put up. It's simple and it's obvious, and they're going to vote on that in June. Well, but now, wait, I want to say one other thing about you, no, what wait, you just wait, said about, the, uh, first about all, selling wine. Well, I want to say one thing, then, oh, you, then you can go. Go ahead. The, uh, the, the wine, the argument in favor of this, as you know, and it's the one you're using, is that the, the distributorships have become limited uh, in uh, so therefore, it's more difficult for wineries to sell their wine uh, through distributors. Well, guess what? The businessman that that is so often lauded for being brave and risky and doing what he had to do to make money. Uh, if if they, if we're going to stick with that definition, the businessman who got into wine just for making money selling it. He made a bad decision, didn't he? Because the distributors disappeared. And yet these guys want to say, oh, well, now that I'm not, I, I might not make as much money as I want to, so let's change all the rules that have been in place since 1968 so that I can get continue to up my sales. It's ridiculous. Napa is a prosperous place. You can own and you can make a decent living uh, in Napa. You do not have to. To keep going up and up and up, but Jim, you have Jim, to you have to make some concessions to the place. Na- Napa does not exist in a bubble; it exists in the world. And if we look at what's going on in terms of disruption in every other industry, whether it's the grocery business, the toy business, you name it, pick any business you want, and it is going through disruption. And people that have done things a certain way whether they sold in retail or whether they sold out of the trunk of their car, are having to adjust and accommodate to new realities. Why is the wine business any different? Because it's unique. 
Napa has a unique taste. That's why it isn't toys. It's a, it, it's very interesting, your analogies, but how depressing that is. Just because other people are doing it doesn't mean that Napa has to. Napa has a slam dunk built-in terroir that produces good wine. You might not be able to become a millionaire doing it, but you can certainly make a living, and there are plenty of people there, small producers, who are doing so. You're making the argument of the Diageo's and, and the Treasury Wine Estates and the, you know, Consolidated and all these others, and it's not a, it's not convincing from the point of view of Napa. You don't have to say that everybody's doing it. Why don't we do it? You know, what, Jim Hickey said that a great planning director. If Napa can't be saved, no place can because it has resources that toy makers don't have. Well, Napa has been saved, and if you look at Napa where it was 50 years ago and where it is today, and you look at Silicon Valley or Walnut Creek or other parts of the Bay Area 50 years ago and look at them today, Napa is indeed unique, and it is it has saved itself in ways that other communities have not. Through agriculture and through, and through good land use laws that prevented people from building on agricultural land. That's and, why. And through adaptation to the realities of tourism. You know, one of the, you keep talking about the people of Napa County don't want it anymore. The truth of the matter is that, that every four years, the people of Napa County get to elect new members to the Board of Supervisors. They've had ample opportunity to elect people that are opposed to the wine business, that are opposed to tourism. And at each successive turn, they have not done that. They have sided with progress. They have sided with the realities of the 21st century. So to say that the people of Napa don't want this is absurd. No, it's not absurd because there, there are no campaign limits in Napa. And no, no, it's gotten to the point where no uh, really legitimate candidate can run easily for the Board of Supervisors because the amount of money that's poured in by wine growers and the other so-called big boys uh, is obscene. And for you to say, oh, is everything, there's a perfectly level playing field and that everybody has an equal chance, that's just nonsense, as, as you and I both know. But you say they don't have the ability to do it, but the uh, politics, and I think they are going to, I think the politics is going to change, but for, for the moment, the, you know, what the county could do is enact limitations on the amount of money that any individual or corporation can give to a single candidate. That would be a very good start. The fact of the matter is that you and I both know a lot of the people that are part of the environmental movement, a lot of the people that are opposed to change, opposed to growth, and there's an awful lot of money out there on that side of the equation as well. A lot of money has been put into that effort, and it has failed. It hasn't failed. It's it, it's on its way up. That's what you don't realize. It what, what, because what? of the status quo, you know, the status quo doesn't mean that it's failed forever. Thank God. There is still room for change. Napa is never going to go back to 1968, but it, it still has a chance to hang on to, to what it's got if it can just keep certain people's hands off the watershed and and, and, and developers out of the agricultural preserve who want to build event centers. Eventing has become a, a better harvest for, for a lot of people than, than grapes. I would argue that the two go together. You made the statement before that it's going to change or that it could change in June. Talk about what you mean by that. 
Well, uh, let's go back to what you said. It's going to that they're linked. They aren't linked. Vent centers are are not necessary to making good wine and to selling it to people as Napa proved for 50 years. So do, that's do you, do you think selling is the same today as it was 50 years ago? It tell that matter. to the gro- tell that yeah, to any business it, yeah, in America. No, no, it's better because the prices are higher. The prices may be higher, but you still need to sell a lot of it in order to to make a business go. No, not necessarily. You need to sell enough of it, and people are doing that. It's just that the people what what's happening is the good Napa name is being uh, subverted by out-of-county grapes put through these processing plants in Napa, this, these huge industrial complexes. It, you know, finally, the, I, I never did like the, the phrase wine industry, but you know something? Today, it fits. It really is an industrial process, and it's, it shouldn't be done in the Ag Preserve. That stuff ought to go south of the city of Napa, as it was intended to do. Much of and, it is. Um, sorry? Much of it is south in the industrial area. Much of it is, but not enough. Much of it isn't. And your argument is counterintuitive because tourists don't like to see factories. Tourists come up there thinking the wine is made, you know, that they'll see all these beautiful vineyards out there and they think the wine that they're buying and drinking is made there. Probably most of the wine isn't made there because people are buying in the $12 range or something like that, and they're not even buying Napa Valley wine. They're buying some stuff that's grown mid-coast or Lodi or somewhere else. Let me, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> let me ask you a question, Jim. Of the 400-plus wineries in Napa, how many of those 400-plus, how many of those that are members of the Napa Valley Vintners, how many of those do you think are industrial and how many are small? How much of the, the gallonage of wine made in Napa Valley do you think is industrial and how much of it is boutique? We're not talking about output. I'm talking about the number of wineries. You have raised the issue. You know, well, I am talking about output because it's the guys with the huge gallonage that have the most say in the Napa Valley vintners. And that's what you should be looking at. That's just not true. It, it's not true because there are still more members in the vintners and other organizations as well that are there far are plenty more. of vintners i can i can i know what you're saying i can tell you this there are plenty of vintner members of the napa valley vintners who are in favor of of measure c and are in favor of environmental restraints and restraints on development and many of them do not want event centers either but they're afraid to cross the, the organization because they need a trade group. The Napa Valley Vintners is very good at what it does, and consequently they're caught between wanting to do the right thing and do the expedient thing. I think that the Napa Valley Vintners ought to split, and I think maybe that's a possibility because the behavior of its leadership and its board of directors is simply uh, un... Uh, what unacceptable to, to a large member, a large part of the membership. And uh, I think we, I think this, this story is going to develop further from where it is today. You, you keep conflating, and you've done this a couple of times, you've talked about Measure C and event centers in the same sentence. Measure C is, 
although misguided in my view, is certainly not about event centers. It's about the Oak it, Woodlands. It's about a frame well, of mind. It's well, about but, but, the corporate so, attitude. Uh, you do what it you do what it takes to make money, regardless of the fact if it that that it trashes the place uh, in the minds of many visitors and also trashes the environment. It's the, it's the same mindset. So is, is your argument that Measure C is simply a Trojan horse for something else? No, I didn't. I never said that. Measure C is, a, is our modest restrictions on what can be do, done high up in the watershed to protect streams and protect trees. In an age of climate change, it's already been proven the two main problems with rising temperatures are emissions, carbon emissions, and the cutting of trees. Those are the two things. So it's a no-brainer to say that, well, you know, there's some of the, we don't have that many trees left, but let's keep what we, we already have. Some are going to go down anyway because the temperature is rising. Uh, so it's a, it's highly irresponsible and uh, of the opponents of Measure C, and they're using irresponsible tactics to try to fool voters, but they always do that. And this is just a modest step. It won't hurt any, it's not going to hurt anybody's production at present. There's a, the, the valley is running out of resource. Everybody knows it. And yet you have people who want to get in on the final bonanza before the place gets trashed. And they're the ones pushing development in the hills. Those they don't. Napa doesn't need more vineyards up there. It needs more enforcement of existing laws, and it needs better representation of people who want to hang on to what what Napa is has has left of its originality. You keep using the word trash. Tell me what you mean by that. No, I, I said it. I've used trash once, I believe. No, you've used <clears throat> it several times. But I, I, I Cutting down trees on the valley floor to build more structures, more parking lots, more roads, bringing more power lines to uh, assist uh, in uh, event centers and, and weddings and, and whatever else people want to do there. But it's mostly to ma- make it into a sort of eventing includes member, you know, uh, conference rooms, all kinds of things are possible because of changing the definition of agriculture from its ancient meaning to include marketing of wine and selling of wine is, uh, has, means that there is literally no limitation now in the future on what people might end up being able to do to sell their wine. So that, to, to my mind, that is trashing the traditional Napa. And I think a lot of people in the Valley would agree with that. Don't you think selling and marketing wine is important to the Valley? (laughs) Making good wine is the most important thing in the Valley. The Valley has been a success for 50 years. People will still come if you make good wine. They will come. It's been amply demonstrated, and now you can make really good money making good wine. The, the, The as I said before, the argument is counterintuitive. It's well, just that you can't keep growing and growing and having more and more people and more and more vineyards because it's a finite place. It requires an adult ability to make a, an adult decision on when 
to judiciously say we have enough, we're going to pull back a little bit from more cutting and planning and building. Two things. Number one, the county repeatedly has made those decisions. They have elected representatives that have made decisions which they obviously believe are in the best interests of the county. That's number what one. What decisions are you talking about? In Jeff? terms of people they've elected. That Napa is the only place I know in the United States where committees of high-powered people in the county meet to hold meetings, regular meetings, to decide whether or not they're going to obey the law. That's, just, that's essentially what goes on. You already have great laws on the books, but the county won't enforce them. The planning commission, as we all know, the planning director acts according to what the Board of Supervisors tells them. The Board of the Supervisors is not open to enforcing regulations. It's every, there's all, all kinds of evidence around, including direct testimony. They need to enforce the laws, but they don't. The Board of Supervisors is the culprit, and they it needs and eventually it will be changed. But because I said before, Napa Valley is a finite place, and by the time you get around to to getting out the people who are allowing this stuff to happen, you will have lost a lot of trees, ground, and goodwill, and it's a mistake to 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 allow that to happen. Let me ask you one final question. In addition to talking about, as you say, the big boys, one of the things that you talk about in the book is is people, and you refer to them as kind of lifestyle vintners, people that have come here with significant resources, significant financial resources, and wanted to be in the business. Why is that a negative thing? They wanted to be in the business. Why did they want to be in the business when the business doesn't need them? So why do they want to be there? Who's to say, when you say the business doesn't need them, I don't understand that. They come there for the social cachet and the associations that wine brings. In the old days, that didn't matter because there was plenty of room. Today, it does matter. There isn't plenty of room. And the quality of the, of the so-called lifestyle vintners, meaning people who are actually involved as essentially as farmers or actually know something about it and get involved in it is minuscule. And they, it's a, it has become a sort of a recreation for people who want to have their house and their little vineyard. And there isn't, that's fine, but they should go somewhere else to do it. Go to Lake County. The point is Napa doesn't have room for that anymore. And that is exactly what the Ag Preserve said. And it's what, you know, Measure J and others have said, that there need to be extraordinary limits on what people can do because the Board of Supervisors repeatedly fails to stop these big land use decisions. Uh, and they, Except, allow, they vote know, what, to allow what, something that, what, that they're not – that's why they, – and they, they should have uh, been required to vote on – the, the changing of the definition of agriculture. Somebody is probably going to sue over that, and they ought to. You talk about that there's no more room, but the fact of the matter is that the 2008, according to the 2008 general plan, which is operative in the county right now, there's still an opportunity for new vineyards to be planted before 2030. Well, why would you want to do that? that may, where are you going to put them on tops of trees? What does that mean if you put in the new vineyards? It means you lose the cover on the on the watershed. 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's a pure economic uh, mid-level, mid-to-low-level play, and, it sh- and, the, and the county has perfectly good laws preventing it, and they ought to be enforced. Jim Conaway, his new book is Napa at Last Light. Jim, I thank you for being with us, and I thank you for a lively exchange. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I thought so, too. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.